Good morning, Father Daniel. How are you doing today? Morning, John. Glad to be here. Excellent. Today we're talking about the image of God. More broadly, we're talking about anthropology, what it is to be human. And uh, in order to talk about what it means to be human, we're going to go to the very beginning of Scripture, mm. Genesis 1. I would like to uh, read this verse, Father Daniel, and I know that you have some points you would like to bring from St. Irenaeus and the Fathers on this passage, but let's begin with Scripture itself. This is Genesis chapter 1 in the 27th verse. Actually, let me go back to verse 26. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Mm. <clears throat> so image and likeness of God and man. What does that mean? Right. <laughs> so a number of the Eastern fathers talk about this. It's beautiful. They, uh, though there's probably some uh, unique elements of uh, Hebrew poetry going on here in image and likeness. Mm -hmm. uh, nevertheless, they want to make a theological point with this. That's beautiful. And they say that there's a difference between image and likeness. Mm -hmm. And roughly, they can be equated to uh, potentiality and actuality. So, uh, man is created in the image of God, which means he's uh, given a number of gifts. God bestows on him a number of things mm -hmm. uh, that reflect something in God. We could talk about... Uh, reason, we could talk about uh, uh, will, number of things. Well, I think we'll get to those later in the uh, episode, but uh, man is from the very beginning imprinted with certain things. Uh, certain potentialities are in him from day one, from infancy. And yet, he doesn't necessarily have likeness, according to these fathers. Likeness is that thing which is related to actuality, um, man's life unfolds over time. We have a will to choose. And so we move from this state of being well-suited to something by choice into a state of actually becoming that thing, becoming like unto God through uh, the movement of time, through will, and the free cooperation with the grace of God to actually become like unto him. And this process, they say, was meant to be a process to unfold um, really through all eternity. We would see it being both uh, the vocation for Adam and Eve uh, in the beginning. Their vocation is to become like unto God, uh, to actualize the image. Uh, and we see that also being as restored, uh, that possibility being restored in Christ, fulfilled completely in him, but now made possible again for us as human beings. So there's a little little from the East on image and likeness. <clears throat> so to summarize that, when scripture says that we are created in God's image and likeness, that refers both to his design of us, and the way we are born, 
the way we are composed as Mm -hmm. a body soul unity Mm -hmm. but it also refers to our our vocation to what we can become his purpose for us exactly so um being made in god's image as men and women is both a gift and a responsibility absolutely to become we're not necessarily created in the garden adam and eve are not necessarily created uh complete exactly Mm -hmm. they're created perfectly good uh but that doesn't uh that ought not to signify for us that everything's done and i think that's a really hopeful thing I've heard a lot of people just in my pastoral ministry be like, you know, heaven doesn't sound that compelling to me. Or sometimes, uh, you know, the Garden of Eden just kind of sounds like this lame place. And I think Mm -hmm. that's because of this basic misunderstanding about the difference between man being created with certain potentialities created in the image of God and this vocational aspect of man, which is to last into all eternity. When you understand it in that way, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of dynamism and excitement about what man does with his existence. That's right, because creating God's image not only makes us like God, it also gives us the capacity to become like God. Mm-hmm. This is a, a really deep Christian principle. This uh, is the relationship between grace and works. Right. Uh, which the a misunderstanding of the relationship between grace and works uh, results in heresies all the way from Pelagius in the 4th century to, frankly, I hate to say this, but Luther. I have mm-hmm. deep sympathy for Luther. My favorite professors were Lutheran. But Luther's misunderstanding. <laughs> Luther is very close in certain regards, but the Catholic teaching is that our responsibility, our response to God always flows from grace. And grace does not annul the responsibility i.e. grace does not remove the need to respond. It's what makes it possible. Right. If you have this understanding of, of salvation and grace, particularly relating to salvation as being this change in category mm-hmm. uh, for man, right? You have man in this kind of grace-filled state before the fall and then uh, in a grace-less state after the fall and then mm-hmm. after... Uh, salvation he's moved back into this grace-filled state it doesn't entirely make sense of the story of grace and it doesn't account for work for man's labor Mm -hmm. whereas if you understand that uh man was given a vocation then uh cooperation with grace becomes normal right grace Mm -hmm. is actually that thing which allows man to begin his normative life again his normal work again Mm mm-hmm it's only possible through grace. Um, so salvation isn't a static state. It's not just being moved from one category to the next. Mm-hmm. It's actually this act, this work, this beautiful um, shared life with God. That's right. It's our invitation to participate with him. Well, I'd like to look at <clears throat> verse 27 in deeper depth. So um, sorry for that redundancy. I'm from Arkansas. English is my second language, and I have no first. I do know a bit of Hebrew, however. And so I know here in the New Revised Standard Version, it actually uh, kind of tips its hat to this. It says, so God created humankind in his image. In some translations, it'll say man. So there are two words for man in Hebrew. One is Adam, 
the other's ish. Mm. Adam, um, which is Adam's name, uh, it means simply humankind. So when it's not referring to Adam as a person, and this verse when it says God created man, that's God created humanity, mm. male and female. So we're going to walk through the structure of verse 27 itself. We're going to consider the image of God proper to man, i.e. man and woman. Mm-hmm. But then it specifies the image of God as actually being male and female distinction. Mm-hmm. This is pointed out with depth and beauty and brilliance by Pope John Paul II, who gave a series of lectures uh, some years throughout his pontificate, which eventually were compiled into a book. And the title of those lecture series is Man and Woman, He Created Them. Now, in America, that's been uh, subtitled Theology of the Body. I think they're both good titles. They communicate the thrust of John Paul's perspective. But here is John Paul II's contribution to our understanding of what it means to be human. He came up with three categories, and these emerged from Genesis 2. And he's kind of looking through Adam's eyes. Genesis 1 gives us a looking from the outside, kind of watching God create. God speaks, whoosh, it happens. God speaks, whoosh, this happens. Genesis 2 doesn't give us that. It gives us through Adam's eyes and through Adam's ears, God's personal fashioning of him, God's speech to him of his vocation. And here's what we see when we look at Genesis chapter 2, that Adam was created with original solitude, original unity, and with original nakedness. First, original solitude. We spoke in our last episode in cosmology about how man is intrinsically a bridge figure. Both man and woman are a bridge figure between the seen and the unseen. This makes them a priest of sorts, a type of priest, in that they, by their being, simply in their being, as well as their vocation, connect the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. Why? Because as even Aristotle teaches before the giving of the New Testament, before, I mean, the writing of the New Testament before the coming of Christ, he recognizes that man is a rational animal, that we are embodied spirits. So through the body, in paradise, Adam perceives that he is one creature among many. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, Adam within himself possesses a rich interior life that is not given to the, the animal kingdom. And this is part of how we, we should understand the dominion that's given to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are not called to kind of um, just do whatever the heck they want with creation. That's not dominion. That's not stewardship. <clears throat> but they possess a higher capacity and that higher spiritual capacity that higher rational capacity that higher capacity for affection and emotional union it both empowers us for a type of service to creation but even more importantly it empowers us to be a sort of priest Uh, this is why the church fathers refer to humanity as the they call it I, I believe the vocal expression of creation's inaudible worship. Hmm. Psalm 19 speaks of sun and moon and stars and all created reality having a sort of inaudible praise for God. Well, only in mankind 
does the praise and worship of physical creation acquire a voice? Mm. So this is the meaning of original solitude. The second meaning of it is that, as you said earlier, Father Daniel, we're not only made in God's image, but in God's likeness. Man in his original solitude, he discovers within himself a capacity for identity. Rhinoceros cannot have an identity crisis. <laughs> a rock cannot have an identity crisis. Right. I don't even know that an angel, I don't know what it, how it would be in the angelic realm. Mm-hmm. But we as human beings, as you've said repeatedly, we experience ourselves not only as, as actuality, but as potentiality. We have within ourselves an awareness of what we are called to become. Mm. And that brings within each human being, even after the fall, a sort of solitude, a sort of self-reflection, a sort of self-awareness. Um, through conscience, through reason, through the desire for relationship with others, uh, that compels us to search. Mm. So there's a lot in there, but that is what St. John Paul II was referring to when he referred to original solitude. Second, original unity. And this is where we move from the collective experience of man and woman as an individual to man and woman and their interdependence. Because the image of God is not only what men and women share alike, but what men and women possess in their differentiation from one another. Mm-hmm. That the image of God is does consist not only in human being, but in male and female differentiation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note here that we moderns, when we use the word sex, we get embarrassed because we think that we're talking about a particular act. Mm-hmm. Before sex is an act, sex is a mode of being. Mm-hmm. That act is only made possible by that mode of being. Adam and Eve, in their mode of being, as man and woman, perceive through the body in one another uh, that they are made for one another, that they are complementary to one another. And in fact, uh, without this complementarity, the call of God is impossible. Because right after it says, remain his image, he says to them, Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, (laughs) if God doesn't make Eve, Adam's not fulfilling his role. Mm -hmm. And this is what Pope John Paul II refers to as the nuptial meaning of the body. That through the body, through Adam, I mean, look at your body. Your body tells you that you are a sexual being. Adam, in his perception of himself and Eve, recognized that they are made for union and that union is not simply an exchange of um, an act it's it's an exchange of persons mm-hmm. and this is why the church understands marriage which is very central to the image of God is not a contract but a covenant mm-hmm. a contract is an exchange of goods mm-hmm. Pro, as Scott Hahn says prostitution is a contract Mar- holy matrimony marriage is a covenant. Mm-hmm. When Adam and Eve embrace the conjugal act, it is actually an exchange of persons. Mm-hmm. And this exchange of persons is so powerful that the love that ties them together and unites them as one flesh results in a third person. Mm-hmm. Now, I think bells should be ringing in our heads now. We're talking about the image of God. And we think about, well, God is Trinitarian. God is triune. Throughout the Catholic tradition, 
theologians have recognized the image of God not only in man's interior life and these sort of Trinitarian formulas of memory, conscience, and intellect, or heart, body, soul, these sort of Trinitarian elements of our makeup, but also in the Trinitarian nature of connection between man and woman, that the bond of love between man and woman is so powerful that creates another person. And not only sim- not simply a person um, like, like another animal, but in this act, God actually creates a new soul. And this mm-hmm. is reflective of the reality of Trinity, because what do we say in the Trinity episode? That God exists eternally within himself as lover, beloved, and love. Mm-hmm. That the love which unites the Father and Son and their eternal embrace is so strong that that love itself is the third person of the Trinity, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. So this is the nuptial meaning of the body. This is original unity. And third and finally, and I think this is the most confusing at first, but the most simple once explained, original nakedness. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. What does this mean? It means that when their body revealed the soul, that there was simply nothing to be ashamed of that the visible reality of Adam and Eve's body prior to the fall reveals that inner dimension of spiritual life, which they freely exchange as husband and wife, Mm. and that this exchange of vulnerability is a vulnerability without shame because prior to the fall, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. So, Father Daniel, you began by talking about not only the image of God, which I've discussed, but the likeness, Mm -hmm. which means that everything that I've spoken of in Adam and Eve's creation, it points to a future gift, Mm -hmm. a future revelation of the image of God in Jesus Christ. Would you say a little bit about what I've talked about, how original solitude, unity, um, nakedness, how these point not simply to a distant past mm-hmm. that we want to reclaim, but actually to a present revelation in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and to a future reality that we are called to participate in and to receive as a gift. Absolutely. So uh, I think this issue of vocation is so beautifully kind of answered in what uh, Saint, Pope St. John Paul discusses in, in this Theology of the Body. If you look at the fact that man and woman are created uh, in their bodies, their very sex, which which goes beyond just the kind of physiological makeup of them. That's right. There's something deeper than that. They are created with this complementarity. They're created for each other, mm-hmm. right? In other words, um, it's not just... Uh, the quite frankly, the sex life that expresses this in the best way. It's a life of total service, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that Adam a and total Eve... total gift of the self. Gift of the self, exactly. That Adam and Eve um, are created to do something for someone else, to to make through a free choice of the world, a free choice of the, of the will, mm-hmm. uh, a gift of themselves. Everything they have, they're going to give to someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is right love this is the image of love isn't that trinitarian that we make a complete gift of ourselves um exactly so we we have this 
uh, notion of love built into man's vocation. We see that that's precisely what he's for. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way in which he reaches the likeness of God is for love. Mm -hmm. Now, this vocation, obviously, we know the story. Uh, Adam and Eve fail in this vocation. Mm-hmm. They they come to conceive of themselves as something for themselves. Eve kind of right yeah. into the taking of the apple. She wants to seize something for herself. Yep. Um, and so the loss of the vocation, the loss of love. Yeah. And so we see mankind fragmenting, uh, degenerating uh, because of the loss of their vocation of love. So how does this relate to Christ, this reality you were asking about, John? How how does it ultimately find its full expression here and now and moving forward? Well, we have the perfect image of love in our Lord. Uh, he comes, he humbles himself uh, from his exalted state beside God and comes to serve. He goes outside of himself, so mm-hmm. to speak, of as the divine one. Yeah. Because Christ who is the image of God. Who is the image of John God. John chapter one, Colossians chapter one, second Corinthians four, Christ who is the image of God. Exactly. Exactly. So he, he comes and he fulfills this vocation, the vocation mm-hmm. of love. Now it's interesting that he doesn't do it in marriage. That's right. Um, but he is, so there we see that um, you don't have to enter into the conjugal state in order to live up to the vocation of love. Um, the but conjugal he, state is actually a revelation, a le- kind of a lesser revelation or an icon, if you will, of this higher state, which is self-sacrificing love, which Christ fulfills. That's right. So um, Pope John Paul II has this beautiful meditation of Christ's exposed offering his life on the cross mm. as the true mm-hmm. nuptial meaning yes. of the body because that is his marital act yes in a beautiful way yeah. and uh father daniel what is the bride of christ through this act well the bride of christ is us his church mm-hmm. um broken as uh she might be through her members her individual members and yet utterly glorious mm-hmm. uh won by christ bought at a high, high price, mm-hmm. and uh, assured of her state mm-hmm. as the bride, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is why we want to become part of the part of the church, part of the body of Christ, um, because we're assured of that glorious state. So in his act of self-sacrificing love towards humanity, uh, Christ creates a state, a place, if you will, in which uh, we can both receive mm-hmm. perfectly the divine love and be therefore remade um, in the, the likeness of God as we become lovers of Christ. That's right. So um, coming back to image and likeness, the nuptial meaning of the body not only says something about God's being as Trinity and the union he experiences within his interior life, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. but as well as the union which he desires with us, the union which he has made possible with us Mm -hmm. through the Mm self-giving of his Son, Jesus Christ. So our um, male-female differentiation, which is a beautiful gift of God, Mm -hmm. which is under attack by our current culture, um, I believe is under attack because it, it communicates God's desire 
Absolutely. to love and receive us as his as his very spouse. Even to overcome difference, yeah. right? And I think this is such a core reality is that uh, in that distinction between male and female, yet nevertheless created in the image of God, we encounter a difference that must be overcome. Mm-hmm. That's very challenging for man in his fallen state to yeah. embrace something other than self. Yeah. Because we're most comfortable with self. And here we think about the conflict of the sexes that mm-hmm. manifests itself even in really healthy marriages. Absolutely. Absolutely. But why it's our salvation, why marriage can be a sacrament, uh, why that overcoming of differences can literally be blessed by God to become a sacrament unto our salvation. That's right. Um, as you've been speaking, Father Daniel, I'm reminded of uh, the beautiful line from Gaudium et Space, mm. which is a, a document of Vatican II. So this is a magisterial document, an official teaching document of the church. And it says that man cannot find himself except by a sincere gift of himself. Yeah, exactly. And Gaudium et Spes speaks about this relationship between about how we don't actually know ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't know our image until we embrace the call to likeness. Mm-hmm. The call to likeness is revealed through the cross, mm-hmm. Jesus' self-offering. And God in its best likewise is a document that teaches that a man only knows himself through the un- true unveiling of humanity in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that Christ, who is the image, becomes human, mm-hmm. so that we made in his image might actually become like him, right. by him becoming like us. Anthropology is for forever changed uh-huh. after the incarnation and the work of Christ, right? Where, whereas I think in, in Adam and Eve in the garden, you have this being that's created perfectly good with all this uh, these tools given to him. That's his potentiality, right? Uh-huh. Called to this vocation and yet failing in this vocation after the fall. Um, whereas in the incarnation of Christ, uh, his, his teaching... Uh, his miracle working, his passion, his death and resurrection, and then his ascension uh, to sit at the right hand of the Father. This is humanity fulfilled mm. perfectly. In other words, now, now that work, that vocation is permanently accomplished. Mm-hmm. It's fixed. That's why our salvation is fixed, so to speak, because Christ has accomplished it. But now we're invited into uh, that perfection, which Christ has already accomplished through participation in, in his grace, his sacraments, the things that he's given us. So there's this great hope mm-hmm. um, that uh, the vocation of humanity can be fulfilled in this because it's already been accomplished in one man, mm-hmm. the divine. And one woman. And one woman. The Virgin Mary. Indeed. Which Indeed. Uh, we'll talk more about here, and I can't wait. Well, this is a topic that I could go on about forever and indeed it's the topic that i do try to talk about and everything i talk about yes (laughs) is god's love for humanity and humanity's purpose to uh be like god in his or her not her like god is her but as man and woman (laughs) we are we are each called equally to participate in and reflect the likeness of God in this mm-hmm. this great dance of divine love. Mm-hmm. Well, Father Daniel, I would like to recommend a couple books. Um, first off, we've referenced several times Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body mm-hmm. by John Paul II, which for our more academic listeners, if we have any of them, would be a good resource. 
but it's pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, Pope John Paul II once wrote a book while cardinal in Poland, mm-hmm. and one of his brother bishops, who is a friend of him, asked if next time could he please write in Polish. <laughs> that was a joke because it wasn't Polish. Pope John Paul II was a profound <laughs> philosopher. So if that's too tough, I would recommend something like Theology of the Body Explained or Theology of the Body for Beginners by Christopher West, mm-hmm. who I think has um, made it much more accessible in certain book forms. In addition to that, Vatican II is largely concerned with these issues, particularly in its document, Gaudium et Spes, mm-hmm. which is in Latin, mm-hmm. Love and Joy. And... Um, I'd recommend that. Father Daniel, is there anything that you would recommend? Well, again, uh, here I am, and this is my bias as a, as a Greek Catholic priest, but, um, you know, Vatican II was remarkable in that it kind of revisited the patristic era. That's and, right. And it is, Vatican II is very concerned with Christian anthropology because it's, it's so under attack this date. So mm-hmm. if you're ambitious... You know, go back to uh, the fathers again. Uh, There's a wonderful um, resource. It's the Popular Patristic Series. It's it's Mm -hmm. uh, produced by an Eastern Orthodox uh, press, Saint Vladimir Seminary. Those are my favorite books in seminary. But they're fantastic, and Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there there's a number of the Church Fathers who who write about these um, types of things on the human condition. Uh, St. Basil, and, and uh, I mean, we could talk about several of them. So if you're ambitious, go back to that popular patristic series, or, or there's a number of publishers, mm-hmm. and look at what uh, the fathers in that patristic age talk about. Of course, that's going to be better synthesized uh, the kind of later we get in church history, certainly, and again, in the angelic doctrine. And, uh, but there's, there's so many exciting things to read. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Father Daniel. I've, I've really enjoyed this topic, and I hope our listeners do as well. Indeed.